The first reading comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 to 30, and we found in page six, on page 615 in the Pew Bibles. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is a due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan harm against your neighbor who lives trustingly beside you. Do not quarrel with anyone without cause when no harm has been done to you. The second reading comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, which can be found on page 240 in the Pew Bibles. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I, I am very comfortable in this space because I spend a lot of time here, just often when the rest of you are not here. Um, so either on Saturdays for 2.23 or in the week, usually for meetings and often trying to find dawn because this building is so big and it can be tricky to figure out where she is. Uh, but I do bring you greetings from Leighton Stone United Free Church. We're on the central line, so not too far from here. Um, in Leytonstone, and we're a church that has been incredibly blessed by the love and support that Bloomsbury have given us. So we've had Simon over, we've had Luke over, we've had Dawn over. In fact, the, um, in the, the foyer, the picture of Dawn with the painting was when she painted us a sermon in July, a response to people being struck down by God. Uh, always joyful, isn't it, when you ask someone to come and preach and that's the text, but was part of our Leytonstone Arts Week. And so Dawn painted us this beautiful picture which now hangs in the manse in the kitchen, which is where all the really good things of church life happen. But I do need to give you some disclaimers this morning. Um, I'm quite nervous about being here with you because um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not Simon. <laughs> And by that, I mean that we have pretended to be each other before. We swapped name badges at a conference. Nobody noticed that he wasn't me, but they did notice that I wasn't him. And uh, I preach in a very different way. I use very different language, and I know that that might be a little bit out of comfort zone for some of you. But I promise you, even though it might be confusing at the start and at the middle, that hopefully by the time we get to the end, it will all make sense. And if it doesn't, then it's probably not the end, and we'll just wait for the spirit to call, fall and tell you what is actually going on and what the intention was. Is that all right? Brilliant. So, my question for you this morning is this. I wonder what is disturbing you today. The reality is we've all come from different places and spaces. We've all had different weeks. We will all have different weeks ahead. But I want you to just take a moment and to think about the things that are disturbing you at this time. 
Some of you are starting to make a list. Others of you are thinking, oh, I'm actually all all right. You probably won't be by the end, but that's okay. Others of you are disturbed that I've even asked a question about what's disturbing you because now you're having to think about things and you came here not to think but to get lost in something else. But I want you to hold on to those things because we'll come back to them later. But we'll park those and we'll head back into the passage of Scripture, particularly the Hebrews Scripture that we read together. And this is a scripture that feels like it's being etched on my heart at the moment. I don't know if you know what that feels like, but when God consistently and persistently reminds you and pulls you back to something, and you don't really know why, but it's there and it's bugging you and grating you, and some moments you're loving it, and other moments you'd like to scribble it out of the Bible and pretend it isn't there. But I have to make a confession. I quite love the book of Hebrews, which is unusual for someone like me who's wired in a slightly different way. Often the passages of activism are what called to me, but when I was studying and training first time round in leafy Dorset, I want you to picture the scene, there's lots of green. In fact, it looks a little bit like a Teletubby land. There are rabbits that hop along and the College Moorlands is set in this vast greenness 10 miles one way, you've got the beach, and two miles the other way, you've got the new forest with its free wild ponies just doing their thing, not caring that you're trying to get somewhere. They're in the road. And the New Testament teacher at the time, Martin, was so in love with the book of Hebrews that as he was teaching it, even though ordinarily we really didn't get on, I found myself moving from the back of the class to the front, not a space that people on the naughty step like me usually occupy. And I found myself drawn in, leaning in more and more to what he was saying and being that annoying one with their hand up when everyone else just wants the lecture to be over and go home. Asking questions of questions of questions about this book in the Bible. Because for me, it spoke so much of who Jesus was and is and therefore the relevance of that for me in my life I just wanted to learn more and more, even if it was annoying to my classmates. But back to this part in Hebrews. We're at chapter 10, and obviously there's been 10 previous chapters, most of those actually talking about Jesus, reminding this group of believers, the Hebrews, that even though they've faced many trials and have had many persecutions that Jesus is Jesus. He's superior to Moses, to the angels, to Aaron. He's superior to the priests that have gone before. He is not like what they have seen. He is superior to the old covenant and he is definitely superior to the old covenant believers and the struggles that the new believers are having. And in doing this, the author is drawing all of our attention towards the identity of Jesus, reminding us not just of the humanity and our call to follow him and to do the things he humanly did, but in the significance of the divinity of him, in the majesty and the glory of who he was and what he did on the cross. Now, some of you might be shocked to hear this, but 
I didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, my mum was pregnant at 16 with me and we lived on a council estate and Jesus was the mildest swear word in our vocabulary. (laughs) Sometimes it still is for the rest of them. And I am like uh, the odd one out of my family, if that makes sense. I am still the only Christian in my immediate family. And I too repeated the pattern that my mum had set. So at 16 I was pregnant and at 17 I had my son and my daughter is now 16 and at the moment she's not pregnant. (laughs) But I don't know what your experience of church has been. But for me, turning up as a 17-year-old single mum in church was, well, a little tricky. See, I had read the Gospel of Mark, and I had heard and seen this beautiful story of Jesus, this man who was consistently and persistently with people like me, even though the religious didn't like it. And when I went into church, well, I remember being a bit confused I was asking annoying questions like, um, where are the prostitutes? And they very quickly discerned that probably that church was not the church for me. It made me have this view of Jesus, that when Jesus was on the cross, as he looked out at the rest of the congregation, he was saying, yes, I'll die for you, and you, and you. But Gemma, I'm not too sure about you, so I'm going to get off the cross and go. And yet the reality is that's not what Jesus does in any way, shape or form. And so my love of this phrasing up to the point of Hebrews 10 where we're at today is that that tells the story. That Jesus is Jesus. And the work of the cross is a done deal, packaged and gift wrapped for each of you even if you don't feel like it. It's not based on what we do or what we say, and thankfully not about what we think, but it's all based on who Jesus is. And this beautiful book, Hebrews, I encourage you to read it if you've not read it before or not read it for a while. Um, I tell my youth group that it will only take 45 minutes to read. (laughs) In reality, it's probably an hour if you're a good reader. Some of us read a little slower, so it takes me about an hour and 20. But it's not impossible. That's what I'm saying. So read it. Have a little dig in it. Find where you find yourself with Jesus in it. And these few verses that we've read out today, I wish we could have read the whole thing. That would have been a great service, wouldn't it? We could have just had the whole book of Hebrews read. But I love the organ. Thank you for playing. Reminds me of home. But these few phrases, a few verses that we've shared, call the people back, reminding them that they can be confident of the gift of Jesus because of all the previous 10 chapters. It's just a little reminder. And it's a little reminder because it's gonna set the tone of what's gonna come next, which is in a little contrast to what has gone. As the author moves from talking about Jesus to talking about the group of believers, Probably something a little like us gathered here. And it reminds the people, as it reminds us, that God is a God who can be trusted. As I said, not because of who we are, what we've done, what we think, what we say, but because of God's very nature. 
But the habit of coming together as the people of God can be somewhat tricky, can't it? Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's just my church where um, some people dread coming to church. Or some people leave. Or some people find it hard. But this bit in Hebrews reminds those people and therefore reminds us of this sense of when we are anchored, rooted in who Jesus is and who God is as a part of that, then there's something about us anchoring into church in a way that is probably a little deeper than maybe we've inherited at the moment. See, when the going gets tough, often the tough get going. Yeah. And that the writer wants to encourage us all the more that when the tough gets going, we don't get going. We draw together. Now, there's language and wording that some of you might find useful to think about. Some verses say, uh, some translations, sorry, say that to spur each other on. Others say to provoke. And I don't know about you, but I don't often like being provoked. Anybody enjoy it? It can be difficult, can't it? When someone points out something that presses a button in you, or someone does something that you don't really agree with, like, or want to be round, it can be easier to move away. And yet, if we come back to what disturbs us, the things that disturb us provoke us. Provoke us as individuals to action, It's one of the reasons why comic relief works in the way it does. You get a celebrity, and they go somewhere, and they have an experience and an encounter. And because you know the celebrity through celebrity-ness, you don't actually know Ed Sheeran. Or maybe you do. Uh, You don't really know him. But his sharing of the experience provokes you. So it calls him to action, and it calls you to action. And most of the time, that generates in a text A bit slacktivism, really, but it does provoke us into something. And so there's this bit in Hebrews where the writer's wanting to encourage them that when you come together, provoke each other and spur each other on because you're sharing what disturbs you. I was first asked that question, what disturbs you, when I was in a group of other ministers in training. And Mike who is the head of um, mission and marginality, was asking us as ministers, what disturbs you? And so we sat, and I looked round the room at my colleagues, who all looked a bit confused. And in my head, I started pulling out the filing cabinet. I work very visually, so I could picture the filing cabinet, and all of the drawers said, disturbs. And I was pulling it out and rifling through the files, thinking, what can I share that isn't going to offend someone? Because some of the people in the room disturbed me. What can I share that doesn't put me in a vulnerable place? And what can I share that people won't think that I'm a bit odd? Now, my list included some really random things. And I am holding myself out in vulnerability, trusting that we are church, and therefore you love me by default and that you won't judge me. But here's some of my thoughts. Is Piers Morgan really real, or is it a character that somebody plays? Why do we move into a time of worship when our whole lives are supposed to be worship? 
Why are the black kids in my church stopped and searched, separated from their white friends as they walk through the tube, and their white friends protected almost, ushered through? Why is that? Who actually thought universal credit was a good idea? And does the good idea now match what the good idea was? What size of weapon do you need to smash the patriarchy? And who actually likes the taste of olives? From the sublime to the ridiculous, you might find. But this passage of Hebrews reminds me that those, those things that provoke me are good to be shared in church. Because perhaps they're the same things that provoke others. And if we're both provoked on it, then maybe God is doing something in stirring us up. But the reality of church can often go a little bit more like this. Hi Dawn, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks Gemma, how are you? Yeah, fine. Or we ask the question, uh, phrasing it like this, Tim, busy? And actually we don't have time or opportunity or feel confident enough to share the truth. Or perhaps that's just my church and you guys have got it all sorted. But the things that grieve us, that provoke us, that disturb us, fire us up and can often make us feel quite isolated, quite lonely, quite disconnected. You each have come from different places, had different weeks, will have different weeks. And so if you're sat here thinking all these things and not sharing them with anyone, you can leave feeling like nobody gets it, nobody cares, and God isn't interested. And those things are not true. See, when we're anchored in to Jesus, when we get who Jesus really is and what he really did and what that means for us to be together, then we can deal with the provocation. We can provoke each other. We can share honestly what's going on in our lives. So I want you to have a go. I asked you to hold, to park what disturbs you. I want in one minute, if you feel safe enough to have a go, to tell somebody next to you one thing. So you might have to rifle through like I did. Oh, no, that's probably not appropriate. Oh, that might make me look silly. One thing. One thing that's disturbing you from this week or about the week ahead. Go for it. Some of you are now really disturbed that I've got you to speak to someone in church. Imagine that, Christians talking. I know that for some of you, you will have found that experience uncomfortable. But see, the thing is that when we come together and we're upfront about the things that disturb us, we grow together even more. Your church looks a little different to my church, but I think some of the things are the same. When I hear about my friend Ash and Claudine and their family in Cape Town who've had no water for months, when they share that with me, I am disturbed too. And together we can do so much more. When I hear about the girls in my church 14, 15, 16, having a conversation about one of their parents pulling up alongside one of the other girls. It was a wet day. This parent thought they would do a good thing and give this girl a lift home. 
But this girl's first thought was not that my friend is pulling up to give me a lift home. It was that I'm going to be kidnapped and die. Then I'm provoked into action. We need to pray for the safety of our young people, that when their default is that, that's not the fullness of life that Jesus has spoken about nor about the reality of when our our young friends are separated from each other at the tube station because we've got to stop and search. And the provocation in me leads me, in a place of privilege, for sure, to ask questions. It means I can speak to the police and say, I'm a little concerned, I've noticed a few things, can you explain to me your processes and procedures It means I can equip our young people to say, you can tell them straight off the back as soon as you're stopped, I am 15, please can I have an adult with me? The provoking that we have and the sharing of that has to call us to mission. As we share together the things that grieve us, yes, there's pastoral care and there's actually being church rather than just doing church, they're different, but they should always call us out, pointing our eyes to look at a world where all of you live. Sounds silly, doesn't it? But we're all engaging in places and spaces that are different, that are outside. And so the things that matter to you on the inside and the outside should align in some way, shape or form, not because of who you are, but because of a God who cares. So I love this passage of Hebrews, but it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it means that I have to own some of the things that disturb me, not just the external, but the internal. It means I have to ask people who I love and trust to challenge me on aspects of life that I want to change. But we can do that if we're really living out the reality of who Jesus was and who he is today. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you comfort the disturbed. But God, we pray that you disturb the comfortable. Equip and enable each one of us to be honest and real, not just about the celebratory things of life when all is well, but about the things that we find hard, difficult, heartbreaking. May we be your ambassadors coming alongside each other, knowing each other in all of those aspects of life, provoking and spurring each other on to love each other deeper and to call us into acts of deed and loves for others. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Inspire us, challenge us, call us on as we grow together, outworking your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done in Bloomsbury and on Monday, Tuesday, 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, some of you have shared some, some things together. My heart for you is that in this week ahead, you would hold each other in prayer. And that next week or in the week or maybe the week after, when you find yourselves back together, having held each other in prayer, you would update each other and continue to grow together as God calls you on. Thank you. Creator God, you reveal yourself to us through the wonders of the natural world, our home. Open our eyes to realize how important it is to preserve this natural world so that future generations can live, love, and laugh. Equip us to work with others to influence our leaders to make the right and courageous decisions about our world, to choose renewable and not destructive, to seek paths less walked and not the way that is paved with ease, to care for what you have given us to steward. Our news outlets continue to bombard us with fact and fiction, news and novelties, calamities and clashes as the Brexit negotiations continue. Loving God, whatever our political beliefs, convict us to always prioritize the poorest and weakest and not the whims of the powerful and wealthy. We pray for those who have lost their jobs or who face uncertainty in the coming weeks and months as our politicians play their game of chess. Please bring hope to the hopeless. May we learn to use our own power wisely for the good of the whole community to sustain rather than to, to destroy. We think of the rise of nuclear tensions and we pray for dialogue between the Russian Federation and the United States of America and for the Korean Peninsula. We pray for wisdom, peace, and for love to win over greed and political grandstanding. We pause to pray for the conflicts that plague your world today, for Palestine and Israel. for Syria. For the Yemen. For Afghanistan. for Iraq, and we pray as well for the ongoing unrest and uncertainty in Kashmir, in South Sudan, 
in Pakistan and in Kurdistan. Creator God, we give thanks for this wonderful earth which we share with the whole community of life. We pray for the awareness that we cannot sustain current aspirations of infinite economic gain on a finite planet. Help us to live in such a way that we respect all life, accepting that we must reduce our demands in order to allow other forms of life to continue and flourish. In our brokenness, we disturb the Earth's capacity to hold us. So we have climate uncertainty and global injustice. Help us to make a difference today for life tomorrow. We pray for the, uh, the protests and unrest in France, for the inequality that plagues communities, and for the challenge we face in responding to this as Christ would. May we not shy away from righteousness, but be slow to raise the sword. Encourage us as we encourage one another to seek the truth, to read through the narratives, and to learn for ourselves what is happening in the world around us. As a gathered people, we bring with us family and friends, colleagues and companions, whether they are physically present with us today, memories of relationship past, or we are separated by distance and travels. Allow us to delight in those people, past and present, and to pray for those who are not with us today. God, creator of the galaxies and of the tiniest seeds, sometimes we are overwhelmed by the immensity of the tasks that face us each and every day and the brokenness of the world that we live in. Yet, we find hope in you, hope in the Christ who took on flesh, and who charged us to go to all nations, not as empire builders, but emissaries of the good news of your restorative love. We lift these prayers to you, not as a definitive list of tasks to complete, but as humble submissions to the power that is beyond our understanding, the love which binds the fabric of the universe together. Amen.